0: Hello and welcome to the Blair Upper Cervical Podcast, a show where we interview top Blair Upper Cervical Chiropractors to glean their insights, tips, and passion. In each episode, your hosts, Dr. Kevin Pekka and Dr. John Stenberg, bring something unique and inspiring to help you grow and succeed. Enjoy the show.
1: Welcome back to the Blair Technique podcast. It's a very special episode for me because this is my first Blair doc, Dr. Charmaine Herman. Uh, She's the one that introduced me to the Blair work at Life University, gave me my first Blair adjustment and, you know, set this whole thing in motion. So uh, sometimes things happen at the right times for the right reasons. And Dr. Herman's, you know, impact in in, uh, my life and the life of some of my classmates is hard to measure, but very, very impactful. So really uh, excited to share you guys. With Dr. Herman. I know that uh, many of you know her from her involvement in the Blair Society, but those that don't are going to, you know, love to hear from her. She's a powerful woman. Uh, she's, you know, someone that is a, a, a light at Life University. I know there's a lot of instructors that are just not that inspiring, for lack of a better word. And uh, Dr. Herman is not that person. She's very inspiring, very passionate, uh, and and serves in a lot of different roles to, to mentor students there. So, um Dr. Herman graduated from Sherman College of Straight Chiropractic in 2009 and actually started teaching at Life right after that. So she started right after graduation teaching in the undergraduate program, transitioned into teaching in the D.C. program at Life in 2014, which is where we got connected. Um, She got back into teaching the Life Blair elective in winter 2016, just a little bit of timeline for you guys here. which is the class that I took and Dr. Cameron Bearder and Dr. Baxter Smith and a bunch of others. Uh, But that, that elective had not been taught since 2004. And so, you know, almost, almost 15 years later, Dr. Herman reintroduced uh, the Blair work as an elective on campus. And so, but it took her, you know, what it took her six or seven or almost eight years to be able to do that. So I really appreciate her dedication to the work and, and, you know, making that available to us as students. So Dr. Herman, if there's anything that you'd like to to say to introduce yourself, let us know about your background, how you got into chiropractic, and then the Blair technique.
2: Well, first, I have to say how honored I am to be here on a podcast with one of my older students. Um, It was a pleasure working with John, working with all the students we had in the first Blair elective, and I'm so excited to see you guys going so far. So a little bit about myself. I am. My family is actually from the island of Jamaica. My parents immigrated here when I was very young and we I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, actually went to school in New York and things like that. Uh, I wanted to be a veterinarian. Then I wanted to be a pediatrician. It was a bunch of different things. You know how it is when you're growing up. Um, Yeah. So I actually worked for a vet for five years and um, went to after junior college. I went to Tuskegee University in Tuskegee, Alabama and spent a year there and realized I really didn't want to be a vet as badly as I thought I did because those big animals were amazing. I mean, dogs and cats in New York were one thing. Horses and cows on the farm were a totally different subject. So I ended up transferring to the University of South Carolina as a biology major and that's why I went to school. I finished there with um, biology degree and a history degree and a master's in history as well as a certification in women's studies. So I was kind of all over the place because as much as I loved biology, much as I thought I wanted to be a pediatrician at that time, Um, the MCAT and I did not seem to be good friends. So that was (laughs) always a big deterrent for me as far as going to medical school. I even volunteered at hospitals and things like that. But I really started to figure out that I'm maybe not be bound for medical school. So I worked for um, the South Carolina Department of Environmental Health as a a lab certification officer. So I did that for almost 10 years Mm -hmm. and traveled around the state, going to different facilities and looking at their equipment, their supplies, their data, things like that, to see that their labs are working well. And it wasn't until about, gosh, about 2004, when um, my minister, because I'm a born again Christian, my minister got under attack with sciatica. And it was really bad. And she couldn't move, couldn't walk. She was also a teacher. She couldn't teach. So, uh, you know, I was kind of concerned and took her to urgent care and docs and everything else. And all they gave her was um, muscle relaxants. So y'all know how that goes. She wasn't doing any better. But... um, Having come from a Caribbean background, we always believed in a lot of natural medicine and things like that. So I ended up actually frequenting a health food store in Colombia where I was living at the time. And one day the lady saw me. She said, well, where's your minister? I don't see her with you today. I said, well, she's got this thing in her in her back and in her hip. She can't stand up. She said, well, did you take it to a chiropractor? And I sat there with my master's degree self and all that I had in my education. I said, well, what is a chiropractor? Yeah. That was really, you know, that was really a mind-blowing thing for me. I did not know what a chiropractor was. And I had seen the signs, but even in my undergrad, no one ever, they, I was a pre-med major in undergrad. No one, there was pre-med, pre-dent, pre-vet, but there was never a pre-chiro yeah. in our program at University of South Carolina. So um, I said, I said, what's well, a chiropractor? She says, Let's just take her to my chiropractor. Gave me the card. I took her to her chiropractor. And after two visits, she was up and going again no medications, no nothing. It just adjustments. And I just amazed me. It just truly, I was like, oh my gosh, this is what it's supposed to be like. Yeah. So it got me so interested. I was like, okay, chiropractic. So, you know, we all go through transitions in life and I was like, okay, after a while working in the department of health, I was like, I need to do something else, but what is it? What do I want to do next? And chiropractic never left my mind. Hmm. So I just said, well, maybe let's check this chiropractic stuff again. So I went back to the same office where I took her and a Sherman Grant had purchased it from the previous chiropractor that was there. And he and his wife talked to me about chiropractic. And I would stop by their office just to have a conversation about chiropractic. I'd never been adjusted. He gave me my first adjustment. And this, you know, and I was like, okay, this might be important. Then one day he handed me an application to Sherman. Mm. He said, they're having their Lyceum, they're doing all kinds of tours, they're inviting students, you need to go up there and visit. I said, okay. So I took the application, filled it out, took one up there um, for my first visit during Sherman Lyceum in 2004. And man, I just loved the environment, the school, everything, what people, what they were saying. So I filled out my application, turned it in, and I got accepted two weeks later but I couldn't start till 2005 because I had a home in Columbia. I had to get some things straightened out. I was also teaching at that time. I started teaching college at, uh, what was it? Savannah State University. I was teaching at Savannah State. So I had to get everything straightened up before I can go, but I started Sherman in 2005. So I was excited. I love the
1: program. Yeah. It's so interesting. There's so many diverse backgrounds of folks that get into chiropractic. It's one of the things I really think is unique about the profession. I mean, at the heart of it, it's, it's usually people that want to help, you know, it's, it's, you've got this heart for service. You, you want to see your fellow man improve, you know, their status in life. And there's always that kind of foundation. And then from there, you know, we just, we just pursue what's familiar, right? Like for me, it was dentistry. I've worked in a hospital and didn't see anything that resonated. I'm like, well, there's nobody getting healthy here. (laughs) So, you know, the the only other thing I knew was I had an orthodontist I liked as a kid. So I'll just be a dentist. But same thing, chiropractic just wasn't on my radar until it was, you know, and there was a family (laughs) member that had a health challenge. And same thing, we kind of watched this transformation take place. And I'm going like, what in the world is chiropractic, you know, and what did this guy do that all these other, you know, specialists couldn't accomplish? And, uh, you know, once you get introduced to that, that concept and those philosophy and those principles, it's like, where's this been, you know?
2: And why didn't someone tell me about this before?
1: Right, right. It wasn't
2: until I graduated from chiropractic school that my, my dad told me he'd been to chiropractors when we were in New York. I said, "Really?" He said, "Yeah." When I got into car accidents, of course they send you to a chiropractor. Yeah. And I said, "Didn't anyone of us say anything about bringing your family, bringing your children?" He said, "No, that was never something that they told me. They just yeah. said you come here for a certain amount of visits and you can get your money and so on and so forth." So that's my disappointment with the profession overall—that we yeah. don't encourage the family wellness, care, all of these things that we know the chiropractic is good for. It's not part of, it's not on the radar of the majority of chiropractors out there.
1: Well, and as a matter of fact, I just remembered this. I mean, this is how unmemorable this experience was. Uh, When I was working at the hospital there, I think I hurt my knee lifting weights or something. And, you know, a guy in the break room said, well, go see my chiropractor. He'll put a hot pack on it or whatever. It feels great. I'm like, okay, this guy's going to help my knee. So I went and, you know, went to one visit, they took my insurance card and the guy, you know, put me on the table with a stem on my back and, you know, a hot pack on my knee and left for 15 minutes and came back and said, okay, never talked to me about anything, never adjusted me, never mentioned the spine. I mean, I totally forgot about that experience until, you know, much later. It's like very uninspiring. So kudos to uh, the chiropractor that took their time, especially because you weren't a patient, no. right? It wasn't like he was educating one of his patients. He was just sharing with, you know, a member of the community, his message and, you know, look at the ripple effect, right? I mean, oh my that's that. That big idea that BJ talked about, you never know. Yes,
2: you never know what one what you say is going to affect so many other people in your life, say or do. And yeah, exactly. this time was amazing. It was never wasted. And I've reached back and thanked him so many times.
1: Oh, that's awesome. I'm glad you have. Okay, so so you already had a background in education. So that wasn't like you came into chiropractic education, you know, totally cold. You had experience working with students. So um talk to us about your work at Life LifeU and how you got involved with chiropractic education? Was that something that you knew you wanted to get into once you started in chiropractic or just kind of an opportunity that came along? No clue at all.
2: But, um, what I found myself doing when I was in, at Sherman, I started tutoring. I was already teaching actually at Spartanburg Community Tech because of mm. course I had my master's in history. So I was teaching history and biology labs there. So um, that was part of my whole chiropractic experience in education. But then I started teaching, uh, tutoring on campus. And it's with tutoring on campus, I realized the value of it both for me because it helped me remember things, um, helped my board scores a lot and also help other people connect concepts. So when I got to life, they put me in undergrad. I was teaching history. I developed two um, African-American history courses that they didn't have there on campus. I was able to do that. I worked in the natural science department as a lab coordinator and lab and biology lab and anatomy lab person. So I was back again doing what I've been doing, teaching students because I started teaching college in 2002. So it was just like it just kept adding up to teaching and teaching more. And I could not qualify to teach in a college of chiropractic until I'd been, um, what was the terminology, you had to be graduated for at least three years. Mm. And you have had to even have been in practice for some time as well. So I didn't qualify for that at the time when I first started there. But over time, I opened my practice in 2013, my Blair Upper Cervical Chiropractic Office. And um, also I received my... um, Oh, my goodness. My instructor certification that same year. Awesome. That's when I I started working the next year in the College of Chiropractic and then also applied to see if I could teach the Blair um, elective, which was already, again, been offered years before, but hadn't been offered for so long. So. Getting into teaching, I loved being in a classroom with students. I love connecting concepts because yeah. critical thinking is where I see students lacking so much. It's great to learn how to do things, the rote, okay, I okay, I, 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 raised the head for foramic compression and, I mean, the, the distraction, and that means this, this, and this. But connecting the concepts, what does that mean in patient care? Right. How does that affect the patient, what you're doing? How does the adjustment affect what you're doing? I mean, that's the best part of education, connecting those concepts, getting the bigger picture. There are a lot of small individual pictures in 14 quarters, but putting the whole picture together is what I just love about teaching.
1: It's the thing that matters the most to students, you know, because so much of what you you get involved with there is, you know, it's such a fast pace of information coming at you. It's like, you're doing your best to be, you know, to be a good student, but not all the teachers have that experience to share or are sharing their experience from practice or, you know, or even taking the time to connect those dots for students. And so um, it makes a difference when someone does, you know, when has real world experience to add to what you're learning. Because up to that point, you're having to rely on the experience of everyone else around you to connect the dots between, you know, what does this mean for me? You know, because you're thinking about boards and you're thinking about practicals and you're thinking about getting out of there. But that's the whole point. It's like, when you get out of there, what are you going to do with this knowledge? What are you going to do with this information? So having a bridge to the real world, it, you know, I think is something that if if you're a student and you don't have mentors in the field outside of outside of school, at least get connected with some instructors that are in part-time active practice while they're teaching so that you can kind of, you know, have that bridge to the real world. Because it's it's easy to get disconnected from, you know, what's going on out there when you're in that bubble.
2: Correct. And you see, when, when you go in the clinic, you see wellness patients. <laughs> Rarely yeah. do students see patients that really have "quote unquote" conditions. Right. So you're just seeing your friends and you're moving through, and so you're not realizing, you know, what I'm doing with my hands as a doctor of chiropractic, and what I'm doing the critical thinking skills to determine what's going on with this person right. is really important. And I think that's where the students get stuck because they're like, well, I'm just gonna, I'm going through the motions, I'm going through the paces. But when you get out of there, you got to deal with real people with real issues. And you have to know how to talk to them, how to how to um, empathize with them. It's a big thing, understanding different cultures and things that people are going through. It makes us, what makes us better um, doctors of chiropractic. I always tell my students, you can be a technician all day. You can teach a monkey to do an adjustment. Yeah. But if you want to be a doctor of chiropractic, then there's so much more that's part of being a doctor. Because doctor means teacher. Education is a big part of that. If you don't understand it yourself, how can you even tell your patients what they need to be doing?
1: Or experience it yourself, you know, and I think practicing what you preach is a huge part of that. Pa- patients will look right through your hypocrisy, right? If they see you saying one thing and doing another, they're not going to take your recommendation seriously. Not at all. Yeah, and I, I, all. I kind of figured out at some point in school that the whole point is not to get good grades and to get this knowledge. I mean, you, you want to work hard and be a good steward of your education, but the, the process is becoming the person who cares for people. There you go. Right? And so one of the things that really aggravated me through school was how much cheating happened. And if you're a student and you're listening and you know what I'm talking about, <clears throat> you got to cut that out now. Oh my it doesn't gosh. matter if you get a C, you know, uh, compared to an, an A or B. It's like, do you want the doctor who's caring for you in, in the worst time in your life to have cheated their way through school? Oh my gosh! Do you want to be cared for by someone who, who took the shortcut, you know? That's that's not how we do things as upper cervical docs and as Blair docs. And so I know it's easy. I know the temptation is there. I know a lot of other people are doing it around you and justifying, but you know, that's that's not what we're doing, you know. And if you really want to because here's what students say, I want to see hard cases, you know, I want to get in an upper cervical because I want to see miracles. You're not gonna get those opportunities, you know, by taking the easy way out and taking the shortcut. You're not becoming the type of person who can manage those cases, you know, by cheating your way through school. So that's just me getting on my soapbox because I, I you know, love it. It, it was so it. it was so aggravating to me to to see how how much of the point was being missed, you know, mm-hmm. with that with that easy out. Yeah. So yes. I didn't get the best grades in the world, but I I earned them, you know. Mm-hmm. And it, it's uh, it's the process of becoming the person who cares for people that I want, you know, I want students to to really latch onto.
2: I'm glad you said that, John, because we used to say a Sherman C gets a degree. You can get a C and you'll still get your degree. No one's going to ask you, what what grade did you get in this class? They they don't want to know that. They just want to know you care about them and want to help them. And when you talk about cheating, that's been my largest frustration the past few, 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 I guess, two years with COVID. I knew before the students were cheating, but even when we had to go online and and so many students I couldn't see face to face, and I know how they move around information. I try to change my my notes and things like that, but students still pass things around, and that's the most it's the biggest frustration to see a person sit in my class and give me a, a perfect test grade, but when I ask them the question for the test that they just took, they have no idea what the answer is. That's my largest frustration, and I and you know I'm I'm very concerned about the doctors of the future. Yeah. Because I've seen so many of them right now. Cheating has, has run rampant to the point where we as faculty, you know, we've, academic integrity is a big thing.
1: Yeah. How
2: can I keep using? I can't keep using the same questions. I have to create a new test every time because students are gonna to continue to do what they do. And that's my biggest frustration. I want doctors of chiropractic, especially upper, cervi- upper cervical doctors to be good doctors, uh-huh. not, to, not to be someone that, okay, um, okay, I'll adjust you, send you home and that's fine. You pay me a bill and I'm good. No, I want you to actually do the work, ask the questions, find out those things that the patient doesn't even know they're dealing with and get to the bottom of the problem. We know the subluxation is there, but there people have so many other things going on in their lives. Right. You've got to be that person that can hear and understand and give them <laughs> solid advice. In practice, I talk to my patients about vitamins. I do, because some of them have horrible diets. I talk to them about exercise and things to do. I, we talk about that. Some people call my um, practice a mental health break, because after they get adjusted, sometimes we have conversations, and they need those conversations just to go on with the day. So you have, I'm hearing what you're saying. You have to be a person that's taking care of people, because that's yeah. what we're here for.
1: And, and you got to think about what you want to get out of life and practice, uh-huh. you know, because everybody wants to be successful. Right. But what do successful people do? The hard things, you know, their discipline, they make the decisions to, you know, do the work when nobody's looking uh, yes. and that kind of a thing. And so everybody wants to either be an associate and, and make good money or, you know, start their own clinic and make good money. But it's like these are the habits as a student that you have to develop the tolerance to doing things that you don't like to do because you have to do them anyway. Correct. Uh, The difficulty of having things not come easy and figure it out. Um, Knowing where to seek, you know, help and advice and support and mentorship and guidance and all those things. I mean, these are the skills that you need to be developing as a student that are going to benefit you in practice beyond push the head, lift the leg, all that kind of stuff. Right. Like you said, you know, the, the the mechanics of being a chiropractor. So anyway, I know we could go on on that, but like, anytime I get a students here, it's like, you know, I want to make that point because I've seen a lot of my friends that did that. They got good grades. They had all the tassels at graduation and they're not practicing right now because they were not prepared by the way that they navigated through their chiropractic education. Um, And so it became easier to do something else. And Mm -hmm. guess who suffers? The The public, the patients, the profession, you know, the public's opinion of us, you know, and so everybody's got, you know, a lot of opinions about what could be better in chiropractic, but The chiropractors have to be better in chiropractic. So, So agreed. So agreed. All right. Well, now that we're off that soapbox and everyone's real clear on where we stand with that, um, I I think. Excuse me. One of the other one of the other disconnects I see, being a younger doc and kind of integrating between the students and the DCs in the field, um, there's just as big of a disconnect with the chiropractors in the field understanding the needs and the perspective of students as the reverse. So, as someone who's On campus and dealing with students on a day-to-day basis, what do you think are some of the misconceptions that DCs have, DCs in the field have about the needs and wants of students?
2: I think a lot of DCs believe that when students get through chiropractic school, they are unprepared totally. I think they don't realize the importance of like the word you just had, mentorship when they show their face on campus, to offer assistance in clubs and when the school has programs, to be peak doctors, things like that, to help prepare students. I mean, I've heard a lot of docs say, well, the students can't adjust when they get out of school, I gotta teach them how to adjust. Well, you know, I hear what you're saying, but I believe that if more docs would put time back into the schools, they could see more input. And had, they'd have better input. What I get aggravated by is when doctors tell students, "Well, when you co- you just go through the hoops at school, when you get out, I'll teach you everything you need to know." I'm like, "So what does that mean? That means your education doesn't have any value. Mm. That means what you've learned is nothing." So what I'm like, "Oh, just do what they tell you to do, and when you come out, I'll teach you what to do." But then I, I meet so many um, students who are now doctors who are still less, still unqualified to mm. even see patients. It's even for, it's more frustrating. Every now and then, I get. Um, I help attorneys out with cases and they're not always the best cases. And sometimes they're a life grad and it's frustrating to see the things that the students have done now doctors in the field and their licenses in jeopardy. They're, they're being brought on charges of negligence and things like because they didn't take their education seriously. They believed yeah. the doctors who said, well, you don't need that class. That class isn't important anyway. Just when you get out, I'll teach you everything. And I think that's the, um, the, the message of many, chiropractors who've graduated tell students and they'll tell me that well Dr. Herman I don't need micro I don't need that stuff I mean I'm just going to adjust people I said so if a patient walks in with a form said doc I just came back from my medical doctor and they told me I have this this and this what does that mean what does Mm -hmm. it mean that my my um my my um CBC shows that I have a lot of bilirubin or something like that I mean is that important why should I care I didn't understand what my doctor told me but what do you think people trust us when they see that we care and they ask us questions, you know, the majority of the world thinks that chiropractors went to medical school first and then specialized in chiropractic. Hmm. When you tell them there's a chiropractic college, they're really, you have a separate college? Yeah, it is. Well, I, they'll think, they think you went to medical school, so you should understand what this medical doctor just told me to help me. And that's where students don't see the importance. They don't think that's important. And all of our education is important. Because chiropractic management is everything that we do with our patient, not just the adjustment, not just the education, but suppose they have a question and they look to you for an answer.
1: And they they certainly do, because other people are not answering those questions for them. I mean, hardly. This is one thing that I was really caught off guard by when I got into practice is how often there are tests ordered and tests done and no follow-up on results. No, so like you said, patients all. going like, well, yeah, I got this thing done. You know, I got this imaging, I got this test done. Did anybody explain the results to you? No. Okay, well, let's have that conversation. And, and to yes. your point, that's that's a value that you have to offer, you know, that patient and being more well-informed in their overall healthcare experience and building the trust and credibility as their chiropractor that, you know, you're someone who knows what they're doing, you know, and knows mm-hmm. how to care for them and knows how to integrate with, the other aspects of their healthcare and, and honestly provide an exceptional healthcare experience uh, because this is not something that, you know, and I've talked with this about with my CAs when they were training and things like that. It's like, people are used to showing up at the doctor's office. The doctor's office is unprepared. They show up early, but they wait late. They get in there. They're rushed. Nobody answers their question. Nobody pays attention to them. They're used to a horrible experience. We have Mm -hmm. an opportunity to do better. And yes. to your point, you know the, the the concerns that patients have are something that we can help you know help them navigate. And I'm not saying you have to have an answer for everything, and you need to be an no. expert in everything. Uh, but to take the time and show that you care, and to help answer those questions, and to have additional knowledge beyond ASR, ASL, PIR, PIL yes. kind yes. of stuff is <clears throat> is extremely valuable in the healthcare market right now. I kind of think that. Well, we don't need to get into the whole conversation about volume and those sorts of things, but I think that the, the landscape of what patients expect from the chiropractors is changing. And uh, in the course of my career, I anticipate that that's, it's going to move beyond get in, lay down, get what you came for, get out to more of an advisory role, you know, and more of a a role of, you know, discussing some of these other concerns, like you're saying. Um, So, yeah, that's great advice because I heard that a million times, you know, and when I was on campus, it's like, ah, you know, None of that stuff matters. Just get out there and you know, move the, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, all that kind of stuff. Right. Move the bone, move the bone, yeah. see as many people as you can, see as many people as you can. If you're by uh-huh. yourself, like I was, I started practice after school. <clears throat> you don't have someone looking over your shoulder going like, oh, yeah, that's important. Oh, yeah, it doesn't matter. And if you think you're not going to see this stuff and it's like, oh, what am I ever going to see? This is OK. So we're doing this recording on 322. I had a new patient scheduled for 318, you know, last Friday, this lady scheduled her appointment online. Never met her, didn't talk to her, have no idea. Look at the intake form. So she's 68-year-old female, acute onset of a new type headache two weeks ago, uh, aphasia, bouts of vertigo, dizziness. She can't talk. She's losing coordination. And I'm going like, okay. Um, She's searching for cervicogenic dizziness online, right? She came across Mm -hmm. a blog post I had. Mm -hmm. So I call this lady and go ask her a few questions. Who have you seen? You know, what have you screened this other review systems type stuff? Yes. You need, you need to seek immediate medical attention, right? I mean, this yes. is, you're not a candidate to get, get adjusted right now. I'm more concerned with your long-term health than I am the state of your spine right now. And there might be some people listening that think that was the wrong thing to do. I don't really care uh, because for that lady, if it was my mother oh my God. presenting with those symptoms, if it was my grandmother presenting with those symptoms, I would not adjust her atlas. Mm Yeah. I want to make sure that her, her brain is not bleeding, you know, she's not bleeding in her neck. So we had the conversation, made the referral. I've only been in practice five years. I've had multiple patients, you know, that, that have had um, cancer or organic issues that have caused referral musculoskeletal pain and everyone else didn't figure it out. You know? So, so to your point, this stuff does come across your adjusting table. It comes across your, your desk and, you know, you kind of got to get your head on straight with being prepared for all those scenarios because, like you said, it could—and this is getting to be in, in kind of the extreme examples—but it could be a life or death type situation that you're it dealing is. with. It and is. you never know, you know, when you show up to work on any given day, what you might be experiencing. So, uh, being well prepared is is important for all that.
2: And and I, I'm glad you said that because I've had a tumor in my practice, and she had been to other doctors, and no one saw the tumor. You know, but if I didn't do the tests, I didn't do the adjusting. I mean, I did the test. I did everything. I said, no, this is not what I think this is. I said, I thought it for a while was a Arnold Chiari syndrome. I said, no, uh uh-uh. uh. I said she needs an MRI as soon as possible, and it turned out to be a metal- medalo, medulloblastoma. She, oh, she was twelve years. She was, she's twelve years old. You know, so yeah. I agree. You don't ask the questions. You don't do the test. You take the shortcuts in school. You don't learn all this information that we're out here teaching you because I keep saying in my um, I teach head and neck eighth quarter um, clinical case integration. I'm like, you don't know what's going to walk in your office. I never expected this to walk in my office, but it did. Yeah. So you need to take everything we teach you. I mean, I did the test. I knew the test. I've learned even being an instructor. I learned new tests, and I, I I bring them into practice when I do my physical exam and things like that. I said you have to learn to be a doctor and stop trying to think you can take these shortcuts because somebody's yeah. going to suffer.
1: Well, and and you know the the thing as a student is always like, well, refer out, refer out, mm-hmm. refer out. It's like, okay, how does that work? How are you yes. going to do it? Who are you cool. going to refer them to? How are you going to mm-hmm. facilitate that referral? How are you going to follow up on it? How you going to understand what happens after the fact there, there's a lot more to it than just, well, that's not a chiropractic problem. I'll just refer out and adjust them until it's better. It's like, yeah. I mean, that's one way to approach it, but you know, in, you know, out here in the real world, there's a lot more, there's a lot more to it because you got to remember, like, these are people yes. with spines that we're caring for. These are not Atlas subluxations that happen to be attached right. to a person. Right. So yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting, you know, it's an interesting challenge. And I've talked with, uh, Dr. Cameron Bearder about this. And and we've toyed around with the idea of having a podcast, you know, specifically on this topic. It's, it's a heavy thing to be, to be caring for people that are suffering. Right. And this is another thing you're not prepared for in school is, you know, you're dealing with people when they're in the worst shape, you know, and there's, there's an empathetic and an energetic and an emotional toll that that can take, especially if you're unprepared and you don't know how to handle it. Right. Mm -hmm. So it could be a stressful situation when when folks are coming to you and you're, you know, that'll that'll activate your sympathetics right there going, Mm -hmm. oh, my God, I don't know, you know, what what I'm going to do with this person. And and they're looking to you to be the expert. They're looking to you to be the one that's trustworthy and can help them, you know, navigate. A lot of folks have a distrust, you know, of mainstream medicine at this point. You know, they're like, I'm going to ask you because I don't I don't want to go to my primary care provider. I don't have a great relationship there. I don't I don't trust based on these experiences. I don't trust that I'm going to get the right opinion at that point. So
2: right. that's really important, because that's what you said in my class. I've I've added how to do a referral, how to contact another doctor, how to make the referral, what what you should be telling the patient about the referral, what they should expect. And then talking to the doctor about what you expect to get back from them. This is still your patient. You're making the referral or you're co-managing with this patient, with this doctor. You have to tell them what you want. This is my patient I'm sending to you. These are my records. This is, the, this is the data I found on this patient. I need to hear back from you to find out what's going on. I mean, yeah. so we as a big part of my class right now, as so they're like, well, we just make a referral. I said, well, what does that mean? How does that right. process work? Oh, and so we go through the process. How do you do that? Who you contact? Who is the specialist for this condition? So we just, I mean, just part of being educated, that's being a doctor. You've gotta know what to do. You've gotta
1: be able to handle these situations when they walk in your office. And then when you get uh, the receiving end of that, you know, when you get, I just got 50 pages worth of records from Centennial Schultz Clinic up the road that does the alar ligament injections. It's like, okay, you got to go, you know, that's, you don't just add that to the file and then, you know, move on. It's like, read it, figure out, because here's the other thing is like, patients don't tell you everything you need to know. Right. So like there, you want to know what the doctor's impression was. You've got the patient's opinion. You've got to make sense of all this information uh, to, to really figure out what the truth is. So yeah, that's, that's great advice. Cause I think for DCs in the field, you know, one of the misconceptions I think that I've noticed is that students want business training, you know, for yes. whatever reason, this is like the thing everybody thinks, you know, DCs think everybody, all the students want to know how to run a successful practice. Well, yeah, they do. But to your point, they want to know how to be a good doctor. They want to know how to be a good Blair up a cervical doctor. They want to know how to manage cases. They want to know how to communicate with all these other things besides just how to get to X amount of visits a week, you know, as fast as possible. That's important to, to a lot of students. But I think when I talk to students, they're they're worried about case management. They're worried about the stuff we're talking about. They're worried about being good. a good doctor first. Good.
2: I, I, I'd love to hear students that ask me, Dr. Henry, can I come by your office? Sure. I give them my card. Say call my husband. He'll make up a set of point for you to come. You can shadow. I'll ask whatever questions. You know, I don't mind taking time with students when they come in just to show them, you know, the importance of actually going through care. I look at my records. I look at other people's records when I get something from an attorney and I'm like, oh, my gosh, what is this? Yeah. What was going on with this patient? I can't even tell. And I'm a chiropractor and I don't understand the records. Yeah. So I'm understanding good record keeping, just how much you need to document, because we're not the only ones that look at our records. And God forbid you an attorney needs to look at them. I mean, we need to have our eyes dotted and our T's crossed just in taking our records. So there's so much more to being a Blair upper cervical chiropractor than just, okay, come on in and I'll just add ASL, ASR, whatever. It's so much more than that because you're a doctor, right? That word doctor is so important. Um, yeah. Doctor of chiropractic. That means you have an expertise of, you understand what this means and you can help your patients facilitate their care and get from one state to a better state of health.
1: Yeah. And, no, you know, it's everybody wants chiropractors to be considered, you know, at a higher level. Mm-hmm. You know, it but you have to act that you know, you don't get that just because you have the title doctor doesn't mean that you're owed the recognition or the respect. It's to be earned. Right. Yes. And to your point with all these things, it's like it, well, if you want to be, you know, perceived on that level, you need to act on that level and, and provide value at that level. Yes. So people are entitled to their opinion of chiropractic, whether sure. we like it or not. Uh, but where I they get that opinion is what they see from us. So Exactly, right. and I think that
2: the best compliment is when a patient sends you their ch- their child or mm. sends you their loved one. I think 100%. that's the best compliment I've ever received. And when "Well, my my brother's coming to see you, my sister's coming to see you." I call my aunt. I know she needs your help. I mean, that's to me. I don't have to have marketing out the wazoo. All I need. I'm glad to have referrals from people who know they can trust me, and their their, their families are going to get better care because they're with me.
1: Yeah, that's great. I mean, that's a powerful thing, and it's not. Uh, you know, it's not. Um, an obligation, you know, anytime a patient makes a referral, even if they get great results, they're not obligated to make a referral. Yeah. If they do it, it, they're extending, you know, their trust and their reputation and their own, you know, um, uh, relationship with that patient by making that connection, too. So it's a big deal. It is um, Okay, so for the student listeners, then uh, we've talked about uh, some of these things, uh, but specific with the Blair technique and the Blair work. What's some advice that you have for students that are training in the Blair work? Maybe fo- things to focus on, things to ignore, you know, resources to access, skills to acquire, you know, and working on becoming a good Blair doc on top of everything else we we're talking about.
2: Well, with Blair, it's I mean, we are definitely a different type of adjustment. So I always tell students if they do have opportunity to take toggle, take toggle. Because yeah. then getting better with your skills as far as I've seen some of the worst um in my i see round hound like this, I don't see this, you know, get your skill right, do the exercises, learn how to do the adjustment, Um, make sure your stance is right, pay attention, get the lab, get the manual, because I think the manual is of value, don't say I want to learn the technique and I don't want to purchase the value, the the manual, the manual gives you history, gives you understanding, Um, we have all these great podcasts and things like that, learn the, learn the Blair work, don't just want to give the adjustment the analysis is what students love to want to do. I just want to do, no, I'm sorry. They just want to do the adjustment. It yeah. looks so cool. I said, but if you can't <laughs> analyze the x-ray, what's the point of doing the adjustment? Right. Because if you do it wrong, you're going to hurt someone. So get your analysis right. Understand the BPs, understand the um, all of you now using this cone beam CT. If that's what you want to do, learn it and do it well. Yeah. Because if you can't analyze it, it doesn't matter what your adjustment looks like. Your analysis is what's key when you're dealing with patients. So I tell students, take that seriously. I mean, at school right now, we're still working with x-rays. But when I teach the analysis, thank goodness Dr. Chris Lee is now at life working as an adjunct. So we're both working together with the Blair Club. And he'll work with them sometimes with analysis. If they've advanced to that level, then he's got, he's got them doing x-ray analysis, I start with the beginners. He takes the ones that are moving forward, works with x-ray analysis and the adjustment. But you've got to know how to analyze. And that's what I think students don't want to do. They don't want to do the math. They don't want to draw the lines. That's the hardest part of the Blair work. And people ask me, why are there more Blair doctors? I said, because we have a lot of work. Yeah. We do a lot of stuff. It's not <clears> just find <throat> high spots and push. You know, we want to make sure the analysis is there, the leg checks, the full pattern work is there. We want to be good doctors. So I tell students, take it seriously because people's lives are definitely in your hands when you adjust,
1: you know, and learn and learn all those steps. Right. And I know, like I I've never taken Blair x-rays. Right. I've, I've always done CBCT from the time wow. I started in practice. Uh, but I still studied it. I still learned the process. I still understand the concepts because it applies to the CT. It doesn't get easier just because it's better quality imaging, if you want to call it that. Um, Mm -hmm. There's a lot of information to consider on the CT. I still just follow the same steps of a BP analysis. I still do all the standard, you know, protractive views. I'm not cutting any corners with that stuff. It's like, just, you know, learn where to put the dots. You know, on anterior point one, posterior point one. I mean, it's it's not easy, like you said, right? You got to look at a lot of them before you really start to visualize. You know what it is that you're trying to measure. You know, with those, so it's not just get the angles. It's like why, you know, why are we doing this? What are we trying to visualize? What about the patient's anatomy makes these measurements relevant? How does that translate to when they're laying on the table and I'm I'm lining myself up in that stance line and I'm visualizing how to correct an ASR and what adjustment forces I want to happen to the spine? it's all those little details that are what make the Blair work so interesting to me. Yes. And it's why it's never boring. You know, it's like I could imagine just showing up and doing the same thing to everybody every day. I'd be bored to tears, you know, but you, every time you get an image, you never know, you know, you're going to have wacky asymmetries. You're going to have multiple misalignment situations. You're going to have inaccessible transverse contacts. You're going to have all kind of funky stuff that comes up. So if you don't master those, uh, you know, those, basic steps mm-hmm. in the basic Blair work with the x-rays you're really not going to have a good frame of reference for how to how to use the advanced stuff all right mm-hmm. so yeah stick to the basics. stick follow the steps you know don't cut any yes. corners or or skip any steps and uh yeah it's it's really builds the context I know for me when I was starting to practice and wasn't that busy I had the Blair DVDs and I would watch it you know and ASR, ASL, trying to understand and visualize like what's going on here and stand over my table with an Atlas model and try to figure out like if a patient's laying here, you know, we know what ASR, ASL looks like when we do it with our hands, but when someone's laying Mm -hmm. on the table in the patient, where is that segment and where am I trying to contact it? Where am I trying to send it, you know, with an adjustment? And, you know, I spent time working and thinking and, and conceptualizing and visualizing those things because like you said, there's a lot going on. It's a lot of moving pieces. And uh, it's not just get the head and neck straight. You know, we're talking about a lot of other variables. So it's interesting stuff.
2: And everyone's anatomy is different. I just had recently a a patient with uh, his condyle angle. His condyles were eight degrees. Oh, geez. Eight degrees of convexity. And when I first saw his X-ray, I was like, oh, my gosh, it looked like basilar invagination because there was no way that Atlas could have been that close to his skull. And I actually took it to um, one of our doc bars at Life, Dr. Fox, to say, "Can you take a look at this? Is this safe for me to adjust this patient?" Because it was so the condoms were so shallow. So he said, "No, I see it. It's okay. You can adjust." I just had to find out. I mean, taking that extra step because you know what's supposed to happen, what you're supposed to see. But everyone's different. Anatomy is different. Um, Chiropractic is applied anatomy. Yeah. Yeah, this one students understand It's so important to know where, why, and when we adjust. And I love the Blair work because it teaches one not to adjust. Right. So I mean, that's the importance of what we do as doctors of chiropractic, especially as Blair chiropractors.
1: Yeah, and I think that's the kind of thing that um, you know, in theory, is is a simple concept, but in practice, mm-hmm. like we were talking about with the technique and the details, I mean, there's a lot of nuance to that, and there's a lot of different ways to figure that out, you know, and to apply that theory. And I know that. Uh, You know we don't always things don't happen in isolation you know when you're dealing with patients it's like even if you see them let's say on a weekly basis there's a whole lot of life that happens in between those visits yes and then you know a relatively short amount of time you've got to collect your objective indicators and be a doctor make a decision about what needs to happen That's right. and you can only work with the information that you have in front of you you know so if you don't have that that particular set of criteria locked in and really understood it's going to be really hard to make those judgment calls and we've all adjusted patients at the wrong time, you know, and oh seeing gosh. what happens when that, uh, when that's the case. And so, um, <clears throat> even with a good handle on all the nuances and all the details of the Blair technique, at at the end of the day, it comes down to you with the patient in that moment making a decision, um, okay. and then and then measuring afterwards, and and then dealing with the consequences for better or worse of you know whatever decision you make. So, uh, you don't want to have a lot of slop in your analysis. You know, I know that um, you know I've uh, worked with Dr. Elder on. Your different types of analysis and, and working on the details of the Blair work. It's like, you know, if you cut a corner here and then you cut a corner there, it, it adds up, right? And so you want to be super dialed in on all the different little steps and details so that by the time you make that adjustment, it's going to be the best possible set of circumstances for the patient. You know, Dr. Uh, Addington told me once, you never get a second chance to make the first adjustment. You know, no. and it's kind of like that impression, right? It's like every, and he told me every adjustment you make after that, you have to be that much more precise because the spine has changed. It
2: has and,
1: changed. and so you want to set the patient up for success, you know, especially in the early stages of care by doing your due diligence and taking your time and your analysis. So by the time you get to that first adjustment, you're, you're pretty dialed in with what needs to happen and how. So that's exactly right.
2: And, and I, I, I think docs need to not slack on even the resting time because I've heard a lot of upper cervical docs slacking on resting. I still find a benefit in resting the patient post-adjustment. Yeah. I've had to adjust, arrest patients pre-adjustment. If their pattern didn't look quite right, that leg that was short is not short today. I rest them pre before I even and reanalyze, re-analyze them and then determine if they need to be adjusted or not. Yeah. So I also think a lot of docs are, are really slacking with that whole idea of rest, but it's really an important process.
1: It really is, and I, I just tell patients, say, hey, we we want to give you a great adjustment, but then minimize movement to the spine afterwards, so that it can get mm-hmm. into your system. You know, we want it to work for as long as possible. And if you can't take an extra fifteen minutes, you know, for that to play out, you, you're too busy. You know, you got too much going on. Plan for that yes. when you come in. And most of the time, you'll you'll be able to get out of here sooner. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's it's your job as the doctor to to make that important for patients, right, and help them understand mm-hmm. why it's important and why it's a requirement of their care, you know, yes. as as part of that process. So.
2: Yeah, even the holding process, we keep a bell at the front desk so people can ring it when they're holding. If yeah. you ring the bell, they know the value. Oh, I'm holding. I'm ringing the bell. They're excited, you know. But if you don't show them the value of holding their adjustment, and you're not not having to put a thrust into their spine, then they don't
1: realize the value. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, and and again, as a patient, you know, I've been in your office and I got to ring that bell and I've had that experiences going through as a, as a brand new Blair patient, even with the training and the experience and the, you know, understanding as a student, it's still a different experience. You know, it's still a really unique experience. And I, I tell patients often about when I got my first adjustment in your office, because for them, I got, I know it's weird. You know, I, when I got my first adjustment, it was weird too. I understood that what was going on, but it didn't really feel like anything happened. And then I went in this room and I laid there and it didn't really feel like anything happened. And then I tell them, you know, what, uh, transpired. After that, I noticed my brain fog immediately started to improve, which is a big deal when you're a chiropractic student. Oh my gosh. And then I went back and I didn't need adjusted the next time. And I thought, oh, this is awesome. It's working already. I mean, Mm -hmm. and and just being able to relate to them on that experience, I think is a a unique thing in healthcare. So, uh, you know, those, those experiences and the stories that you have as a patient, you know, those matter to patients too. They want to kind of be able to relate to you, you know, Mm -hmm. at a certain level. So. Correct. Awesome. Well, this has been great. I know we've got a ton of information, and we could go on and on. Uh, but I want to be mindful of your time, and uh, you know, really appreciate everything that you poured into my life and the life of the students at at uh, Life University. I know as a, as an instructor, it can be a thankless job. You know, you're always dealing with issues, you're always dealing with complaints and concerns. You know, but I just want you to know that uh, it does matter the work that you're doing. It is impactful and important, and we think of you often and, and really appreciate the work that you're doing there as a champion for the Blair work. Not every campus has someone like you, you know, available to students. And patients will ask me, does everybody learn this in school? And I tell them no. You know, it takes a special uh, set of circumstances to have a really good instructor, you know, in your backyard, you know, as a student to learn this work. So really grateful for you being there.
2: Thank you so much. I'm so grateful to see the work that you're doing, Cameron's doing. Um, It's just exciting to see. You guys go out here and just take on the world and bring Blair to the world. So I appreciate you for making me know that my labor is not in
1: vain. That's true.
2: You guys are continuing to go on and do great things. So thank you so much.
1: Well, you're very welcome. And any last words of encouragement for the listeners or or any other, um, you know, final thoughts as we wrap up? Well,
2: love what you do. If you don't love being a Blair doc, love being a chiropractor, do something else. This is something you need to love doing. You just don't just do this. It's something you got to love doing. So think about it. If you don't love it, students, do something else. But you got to do what you love because you're going to give your heart and everything else to it.
0: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or colleague. Be sure to subscribe for future episodes and check the show notes for links to our hosts, guests, and other relevant information. And head on over to www.blairchiropractic.com to find out more about Blair Upper Cervical Chiropractic or to find a doctor close to you. If you're a chiropractor or healthcare provider, you'll want to look at www.blairtechnique.com for information on upcoming events, professional development resources, and some very useful online training modules. You can also find a link to make a charitable donation, which is greatly needed to advance research. Until next time, be well.